the whole approach, regulatory approach, needs to rest on balance. In a leadership position, how do you learn how to distinguish those people who are actually coming to you with a genuine request for the industry and those who are actually, let's say in their case, trying to safeguard the interests of their clients only? Our operators were generating loads of data, okay? Okay. So every claim could be contrasted with data. Mm -hmm. uh, if not, I would re kindly request to be uh, confronted with any data. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Sigma podcast presented by myself, Serena Giorgio. Uh, today, uh, I'm really happy and pleased to have with me um, Juan Espinoza, who um, currently runs his own consultancy, his own firm, Silverback Advocacy. But for maybe a few of you, you might be aware that Juan Espinoza was actually the former Spanish gaming regulator. He occupied that position for three years and he was also deputy regulator, a position he also occupied for three years. So you can say he had six years uh, in the main decision-making process in Spain. In those six years, uh, Spain also had discussed and pushed forward um, a new online licensing regime. And today, we would like to understand better the journey which Juan and his team went through uh, at the DGOJ uh, when they were going through this process. Juan, I'm sorry for the lengthy introduction, but uh, you have done a lot in your career. <laughs> no thank problem. You very, thank you very much for, for agreeing to be a guest on the Sigma podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for your generous intro and thank you for having me. Overall, it's a great pleasure to, to meet back after some time with all uh, friends like yourself and respected professionals at the same time, since that is actually possible. So great. It's glad to be here and glad to be part of your, your podcast uh, series. So, Juan, um, you were regulator between 2017-2020, deputy regulator between 2013-2016. Can you explain to us the, the, the journey going from an idea of regulating towards finally actually regulating the industry? Great. Yeah, I will try to, and I will try to be as brief as possible. But let, let me just summarizing, it's been, it was and has been quite a journey, still is, for what, from what I know. Uh, I think in Spain, uh, you can recognize this, this country, Spain, or the, the, the approach that took part uh, some 10 years ago as one of the, the main first ever uh, jurisdictions to, to have developed a point of conception system uh, of licenses. Back in the early 2010s, you had Denmark, you had Italy, France, and Spain. That was uh, pretty much about it. And of course, this this was the, the consequence of several contingencies, such as, uh, and I will, I will uh, restate a very strong contingency, namely the uh, rumor that we had back in the day, which didn't 
end up taking place anyway. But the rumor that the uh, lottery companies, which is a state lottery company in, in Spain, the, the, the main uh, flagship in gaming, uh, was to be privatized. This didn't take place, but you, ha you have to remind the context of the whole thing. And of course, the second contingency was the reality that we were going through in Spain as elsewhere, that uh, gaming and betting had taken over digitally. Okay, mm -hmm. and so we had all kinds of uh, um, brands being advertised in our uh, football league, people getting acquainted with uh, the betting activity really via digital, because in Spain, except from the region of Madrid, we had no, and, and the Basque country, betting shops were not a reality back then. So this was the way that uh, the gaming sector as a whole introduced or, or deepened in Spain. So it came the moment to really uh, develop this assimilation in an orderly fashion. And the government, and after, uh, after the government, the parliament set out to uh, pass a gaming act, just as elsewhere, where we were in charge of implementing the regime. Okay, And this is where I more or less happened to uh, land in the regulator. Seven, six, seven years overall, three and a half years as deputy, three and a half years as uh, head of the whole thing. And the process was, uh, I, I, I will really summarize it in, from the very early phase, which barely we had to do, to, we, we were involved in trying to make the regulated market a reality, sort of uh, trying to divert and generate as much regulated traffic to the regulated operators and licenses to be as possible. The famous channelization, right? Yeah. This was the first phase. The second phase, I would say, is the phase where you, and we, we can get into details, but it's the phase where you look into uh, how the market is performing, not only in terms of pure economic terms, of course, but also in terms of uh, policy outcomes. And you say, okay, we're lagging behind in this, we need that, we need this other thing. So there came a phase of, say, two, three years consolidation, we might uh, uh, term it, where we tried hard not always achieved, by a large we did, but not always achieved, uh, to um, optimize the policy outcomes that we were uh, endowed with when uh, the legislation was passed. And I would say there was yet another third phase, which was the, the phase that lasted uh, or, 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 or ran along the lines of the last couple of years in my mandate, where and you can, I'm sure you can see this in other jurisdictions, I do see it anyway, where uh, the gaming activity as such were, started to be increasingly contested socially, mm -hmm. even politically. There was a lot of uh, turmoil going around and, and a lot of hype, of course, as well. And you, as a regulator, had to, in a way, step up and try to uh, develop some order, orderly patterns and guidelines so as not to uh, give away to this, uh, let's say, uh, undermining climate, which in the end is not good neither for the operators nor for the regulator and the citizens. And neither for the car, for the consumer. And this is what I wanted to get to next, because you spoke about journey and phases. Now, getting to Regulation is one part of the journey, but developing and maturing that regulation, adapting it in order to make it better, is a whole different journey. 
And unfortunately, outside factors start playing into it. Social pressure, media pressure, where to a certain extent, sometimes in order to be sensational, not the exact facts are given in certain situations. Now, one understands that certain measures need to be taken by a regulator in order to, let's say, protect the citizens of that jurisdiction. They take many forms. Sometimes the easiest options might sound the best, like advertising restrictions, but in reality, you're then opening a can of worms. So if, for example, you introduce advertising restrictions, but then at the same time, non-licensed operators with God knows what sort of technology, God knows what sort of return to player, still advertise on the internet, still push their product, there's no enforcement against them, then you're going to have a problem because your citizens are going to be exposed to an unlicensed, unregulated product, which could, have, could actually harm them even, could harm them a lot. So my question to you is, how do you juggle that reality with the pressures coming from you on the media side, 99.9, the politician side, because not many politicians, unfortunately, take the time to understand the industry. And many politicians think that it's easy to kick the industry, um, when in reality, by doing that, they might be causing more harm than good. Okay, wow, that's quite, quite a question. I will start by the end. You do juggle, great analogy, by the way, you do juggle this, this frenzy by being present and leading, okay? There is no way that not being present for a regulator is going to ever work. And by, by being present, I mean uh, both vis-a-vis -vis society, your political uh, interlocutors, and also uh, the, the industry. It's okay. important to lead from the front then, right? Yeah. This said, I would say, and this is a thing that really, really resembles all over uh, any digital sector for that matter. But of course, in gaming and betting, it is absolutely uh, a must. The whole uh, approach, regulatory approach, needs to rest on balance. Balance, it's a, mi it's a mixture of things, okay? It's not that I can, I mean, I can speak on behalf of, of my country or my experience, and maybe you can really extrapolate this to a, another reality, but by and large, the, the questions that you need to, to ask uh, are the same anywhere. Mm -hmm. You have some tools, which is enforcement, which is how uh, far you can enforce rules. This is important. This is something that affects overall balance because if, uh, as you said, there, there's only so much that you can you can do in terms of enforcement against uh, the unregulated offer. This you need to take that into account, and you, because otherwise you're going to defeat the, your purpose. But there are more things. To if you don't mind, I'm going to interrupt you here because I want to have free flowing as well. I was seeing some of the sanctions which um, the Spanish regulator took, um, action it took in, in May, if I'm not mistaken, May of this year. There were a couple of 5 million euro fines to non-Spanish companies, without mentioning the jurisdictions, but non-Spanish companies 
actively targeting and advertising in the Spanish market. But are those 5 million euros collected? Does it have an impact? Because if at the end of the day you don't collect the money, then the fine is a bit useless, if I may say so. Yeah. Well, this is this is a, a difficulty that not only this regulator or my home regulator, but no, um, it's it's regulators in general have this problem to, to and collect. It fair, and it is a, an absolutely fair point. In digital environments, delocalized, even though uh, economic environments that are subject to territorial licenses, uh, the enforcement muscle can only go that far. Mm -hmm. uh, it, in terms of collecting fines, it is always a challenge, and uh, let, let us put it, for, let's say, fairly and lightly. It is not always the case that these fines are end up being collected. Let's let's leave it there, okay? So, uh, of course, you lose a deterrent uh, mm -hmm. if you are not um, to collect your own fines. You you have a, a, another deterrence as well, such as the inability to, you know, in due course uh, for, for this license, not not licenses to access any license of yours. This, mm -hmm. but of course, defying is an important element. Well, if I may, Tre Trevor, um, this is but one side of the equation. Of course, you need, even without discussing the, the outcome, which needs to be from a public perspective, public regulator perspective, let's keep consumers protected. You need to strike certain kind of balance because mm -hmm. uh, you have economic elements, costs and burdens, econ economic elements that have an impact in the regulated operator's activity, taxation issues, the uh, requirements and measures and regulatory constraints and obligations that they are imposed, uh, reporting uh, obligations, uh, of course, uh, operational uh, requirements that uh, may be related to the measures, regulatory measures and policy measures that you implement. And you have to take all this into account on the one side. And on the other side, you need to retain as much portion of the real market within your regulated offer as possible. Because otherwise, the degree of effect that your measures end up having in the consumer is less and less. So you need to strike the balance. Always, it is. This is not something that is proprietary to our industry. It is the same, same stuff in many other digital industries. So I think it is why to say that uh, there is a challenge for reg for regulators, even without discussing their policy options, to keep this balance. And this is a dynamic thing. And I, I will stop. You you mentioned talking to other regulators, talking to operators. Now, I remember in my previous job, <coughs> I remember um, that a couple of meetings which used to take place, there was a group of European regulators. So I remember yourself. I remember the Italian regulator at the time, Francesco uh, Rodano. Uh, I remember Germany was present. I remember, I believe, Denmark was present. Belgium, I think France to a certain extent. I don't know if the UK was present. Malta was not present at the time. And there were meetings. And I remember that is actually where I met you the first time at one of these meetings where the industry was, was brought in in order to discuss 
and give their perspective on the on the market on how regulated markets were evolving because we were shifting from dot com to dot country at least on a european on a european level whether that was done right or wrong i think we still have to see um, but at the time we were talking there was a lot of talking going on how important is it for regulators to talk with each other but also for regulators to talk with their own operators. Okay, this is precisely part of uh, where I was coming from when I was saying that you need to lead and be present, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, this is part, as far as I understand it anyway, this is part of your, of your function. Uh, establishing the adequate links, if you, maybe in lack of the word, uh, information and exchange links with both your fellow regulators and your operators okay let me just say that this is sometimes an uncanny uh, position to be in because at the very same time we, we are so-called regulators but at the end of the day we regulate only thus far it is for the parliament to regulate it is for other people in the government to to give uh you know the the waiver to, to regulation and what we are is enforcers as well so where mm -hmm. this these two hats at the same time sometimes can be uncanny, can be strange. Some, let's say, ethical lines need to be drawn and how to behave yourself. But in this environment, it is really important to anticipate and to let know operators know. And of course, nurture yourself. Uh, let us not forget, we are talking about a highly technical industry, gaming mm -hmm. and betting. So you need to be fed into the developments that are taking place, the evolution of all this stuff, and the experience that the industry is having. Because you need to test, uh, if only internally and informally, in lack, in lack of, a, of a better test, you need to test if your solutions are going to end up working. Because if not, then again, bad situation. So I think it is not only responsible, but maybe the only way forward to set up a, a adequate channels of exchange and update with industry, may, maybe not necessarily operators on a one-by-one -one basis per se, because it is, these, are, these are your licensed supervisees. But yes, you do need to exchange with the industry because otherwise you're defeating or you might be exposed to be defeating yourself. This is not to say that you need to, at the same time, and this is what it's tricky, maintain, let's say, a red line. Of course, because you are sanctioning, maybe you're mm -hmm. fines. You are you are developing policy that might yes. not uh, be uh, one hundred percent supported uh, by operators or industry, and that is okay. But you need to indulge or engage yourself in this sort of exercise. And the same with your fellow uh, counterparts elsewhere: Italy, Germany, Denmark, UK, of course, France, and, and the like. Do you have any force, any maybe uh, interesting anecdotes of, of some of these meetings, maybe between regulators? Um, if you could tell us how, how things happen, as in, is there a lot of arguing over particular jurisdictions? Is there any form of um, commercial um, thinking when going towards regulation, or is it just protection of citizens? Uh, enforcement and fines. Does the commercial enter any of these discussions? Yeah, I would say that's a bit of everything. Okay, uh, fair enough. 
10 years ago, which is where my experience is stemming from, uh, I guess the experience that we had was more limited than the experience that now current regulators do have. They can learn or they have been able to learn whether from their own mistakes or the other people's mistakes. So, so th this is always something that uh, enriches the, mm -hmm. your, your position. But back in the day, it was uh, really ma many, many of us, France, Italy, Denmark, to a certain extent, were developing the first phase of the market more or less at the same time with then Portugal, uh, the, the UK mm -hmm. as well, in a way. So uh, it was all, all a bit, there, there was a bit of collective learning. And, uh, and so there was a lot of policy discussion, okay? How are you guys dealing uh, with this in your jurisdiction? Could we learn from that? We're having an issue regarding this, uh, let's say, new development in the market that has taken place. There was a part of that. There was also a part of trying to uh, deepen our cooperation in terms of uh, making our markets work. And I will put you an example, which took us may, maybe be a limited example, but it took us several years. Uh, we have around 10 minutes left. The, 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 we were, we, we were the, we, both France, Italy, and, and uh, Portugal uh, again at the moment, and, and, uh, and Spain, we had no, we had close liquidity, national liquidity. And this was affecting us, you know, well to well, some of um, the problems. On a poker level, especially. Yeah. And, and we set out to uh, develop a shared liquidity scheme, which was really hard to implement. It took us, I mean, uh, longer and, and harder uh, strides than, than originally wanted. But this is something that was active part of the uh, exchanges and ended up uh, happening. So, so yeah, there was something that. positive which came out. If I may ask, would something like shared liquidity need to go through politicians, parliament, etc., or is it purely a prerogative of the regulator? Because if it has to go through politicians and parliament, how do you explain it to them? Yeah, well, I would say in Spain, at least, this is, we were, I don't know, maybe lucky from a regulator perspective that we, we were given at the time a reasonable degree of leeway in What's developing the gaming product policy. Okay, unlike maybe the advertising policy or the let's say social broader implications of gambling, this is all political. But in terms of uh, gaming product, uh, whether or not to uh, carry out a, a, another uh, round of licensing uh, um, regimes, this was dealt with within a regulatory level. So mm -hmm. politicians or ministers liked to be informed. Mm -hmm. but did not operationally and actively engage in the wider sense. Okay? okay, so this is this was the experience in Spain. Doesn't have necessarily to be the experience in elsewhere, but this is the one I had, yeah. They were respectful. I need to diverge a bit from gaming, but it still has an impact. So Spain, um, the prime minister called an, an early a snap election. I believe it's for the 23rd of July, right? So yeah. around six weeks' time. Um, polls indicate a change in government, with um, Partito Popular uh, being the, the favorite to win, but maybe in the need to form a coalition to govern. In your experience, um, 
I'm not asking you to predict the election, but in your experience, um, would such a change lead to a change in direction on how gaming is regulated in Spain? Do you believe that could happen? Well, that's a, that's a hard one to ask to answer. Okay, but I will. Try that's to... why I'm asking. You are the regulator, so you dealt with these situations. In my opinion, uh, in terms of positioning the, the details and, and how the, the communication policy of the of the government towards gaming, betting, gambling, I think I would say that it it, it would such a change if it if at all happened. Uh, it, it would uh, involve a change in how the regulator approaches uh, the relationship with industry stakeholders and the sort of um, risky overtones that normally stem from the, the public positioning. But I would say that by and large, the, in terms of regulation, uh, I think that the, basis, the pace of the regulator is however slow or fast, I think is well set. So I would not anticipate any re revolutionary overhaul in the way things are being, are being done. Okay. And so uh, we need to be cautious. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take you up on that. But after the election result, we'll see how yeah. things... How, we let's see if your how your prediction turns out. We, we, we can check in. We can check in. Yeah. Okay. Um, another question. Do you... Do you do you actually gamble? So you are a regulator, but were you aware of what the products were? Were you aware of certain slots over other slots? Well, of course, I mean, I, I would lie if I told you that I, I didn't end up knowing so much more than I used to prior to joining the regulator. But, uh, I but was, isn't it important that as a regulator, yeah, you also know the product but, you're regulating? I mean, as a user, I had the, the whether well, I would say a mainstream user and or a sporadic user of mm -hmm. uh, casino and, and, and betting products. That, that knowledge, I I would be I mean I'm terribly and honest if I said that I had a hands-on experience in the industry or as a maybe as a heavy user prior to to joining the DGOJ. So this, this was not this the case in my case, uh, but I learned fast. This I can tell. <laughs> in your time as a regulator you must have met so many people and so many people who would have told you um, listen it's it's in the industry's interest that certain things happen um, or it's in another person's interest that certain things happen how do you learn in a leadership position how do you learn how to distinguish those people who are actually coming to you with a genuine request for the industry and those who are actually, let's say in their case, trying to safeguard the interests of their clients only. Well, there are some rules of thumb, okay? Some of them uh, have to do with asking the right questions. I mean, you're a lawyer yourself, you know that uh, you can uh, outline someone's personality mm -hmm. and character in two, three questions, but uh, without, uh, going there, I would say that in Spain, we were lucky enough that after a certain moment, we were generating, our operators were generating loads of data. Okay. okay. So every claim could be contrasted with data. Mm -hmm. uh, if not, 
I would re kindly request to be uh, confronted with any data. So when you narrow it the issues down to uh, available evidence, I think it, it, it is really clear uh, to tell out the ones who are honest, sincere, and have a, a legitimate claim to the ones that might not uh, so much. I've got the last two to three minutes. What would you say was your highlight as regulator? But also then, what would you say was your lowest moment as a regulator? Okay, I would start by the lowest moment, okay? I, in my view, the fact that we couldn't uh, or I couldn't uh, get through a, a proper regulation, balanced and legitimate regulation of gaming advertising in due course, this is something that uh, led to led me to loads of frustration, got me really frustrated because I really think that if uh, the chances had been to have pushed this legislation earlier in time, the situation would uh, turn out to be much more balanced than, it, than what it ended up happening, okay? And uh, it, I think it's fair to say that uh, we were not lucky because we, we, we had two governmental overturns in a row and it was difficult, okay? Not completely our fault, but yeah, this, this has been my, my, my biggest minus. On uh, my pluses, I would say that uh, if, I, if I were to narrow it down to one, but only one, I would say that we, along my term, we proved that we were a rational regulator and one that was not business friendly per se, but that wanted to be a sustainable gaming market in the fact that we were the first jurisdiction, if not the only one that I know of, that were able to rationalize, i.e. lower the tax regime after it would the, 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 a certain degree of or, or, or intensity yeah. was set. So the, and this is no easy fit, uh, I must say. And we did it because we believed that it was uh, on an overall program of measures that this was needed in order to introduce another measures, yeah. another set of measures that might be more burdensome and uh, that would amount to this channelization and balancing and all this. And this, I mean, it's not that I'm proud of that, but I think it was quite an accomplishment that was not very much uh, maybe... But you managed to get that because the politicians in charge understood understood the position and, and you would have explained it uh, thoroughly to them. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge, huge feather in your cap. Absolutely. Unfortunately, time is up, Juan. Uh, it was a pleasure, as always, when me and you start talking. But it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, as a guest, I'd also like to thank the crew uh, who will handle the editing of this um, of this uh, recording in order to then publish in due course. We'll be back again next week. I thank you very much uh, for for being our guest, Juan, and also I thank um, the followers um, who also a few got in touch last week. Thank you for your comments. Um, you can also subscribe to um, the Sigma podcast through Sigma's YouTube page, and you can follow and keep updated with the developments going on. So like, follow, subscribe. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Trevor. Thank you all. Good day.